everybody. Today's guest is Mark McGrath, lead singer for the Southern California band Sugar Ray. It was really cool to catch up with Mark. We broke down their 1999 smash hit single every morning from their quadruple platinum third album, 14 minutes and 59 seconds. The song came hot off the heels of their previous hit single, Fly, and it's no small feat that every morning eclipsed that song in both sales and popularity. Mark credits producer David Kahn with not only building every morning from the ground up, but also giving Sugar Ray the blueprint for their sound. We talked about the lightning strike that almost took Mark and the band out at the Chicago stop of the 1997 Warp Tour, and I told Mark that he's the only person I would ever fear battling against on Rock and Roll Jeopardy if it were ever to return to television. Mark was very humble when reflecting on Sugar Ray's career, and you can tell he's beyond grateful for it. And, as I suspected, Mark was oblivious to the fact that the video for Every Morning, which was based around a roller skating rink, bears a striking resemblance to the Less Than Jake video for our song Dope Man that was released two years prior to theirs. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey, Mark, how we doing today? Chris, what an honor to be on your podcast, my friend. Doing great. I really, I really appreciate it. You know, I, I want to, I want to set this up a little bit. Uh, Sugar Ray uh, was on the 1997 Warp Tour with Less Than Jake, and I don't know if you remember. I've been wanting to ask you this for a long time, and we, I haven't ran into you in a while. Do you remember the lightning strike in Chicago? It's one of the most historical Sugar Ray moments because I don't know if you, okay, okay. Did, did, did you, were you were you watching the show, Chris, when it happened? I was in the truck warming up for our show, right? Okay, and I was watching. I was watching you guys. I want to say you were in the middle of fly even when it happened. It was the end of our set, and we had one song back then that people were coming out to see in '97. We still kind of have one song. <laughs> Think about it, but but so. We played our 30 minute set and you know, you know, the Warped Tour, they don't mess around. They don't care if you sold a hundred million records, have five number one songs. We were playing the driving tent, the tent that folds down at night and goes on the back of a truck. We play after, oh, yeah. we play after a Pulp Fiction cover band and all this. And we went on about, <laughs> we'd go on at one thirty in the afternoon and I'd be walking around the grounds because the Warped Tour was so much fun, especially in 97. What a great lineup. You guys, Social D, sick of it all. Uh, I mean, we could just go on and on with uh, Heptones. It was so a, a Hepcat. It was such a fun, uh, such a fun tour. So I'd be running around the, the fields all day, looking at all the bands, and people go, "Mark, when, when are you guys going on?" I go, "We went on six hours ago on the pop-up stage that's being driven to another city right now." <laughs> and and I would tell Kevin, I go, "Kevin, like I know there's a protocol here. I know there's like a level of punk, you know, authority here and sort of hierarchy, and I totally respect that. I just think some of the fans are getting a little bummed out." Is there any way we can move to the third stage? Forget the main stage or forget the second stage. The third <laughs> stage, he goes, got to earn your dues. And I go, Kevin Lyman, I respect you more than ever now, my brother. I respect. We had a record in the top 20. Our song was about to be number one. And he, he stuck by that thing. So the, the lightning story, and I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm a bit garrulous, a bit verbose, and I talk more than they should but so no it's great we were doing half hour sets then real quick sets and so we do a couple little you know little old you know punky new metal numbers and then we'd end with fly right and we were on this fourth <laughs> this stage in the middle of a chicago united center it was in chicago i remember yep. that yep. it was about 2 30 afternoon we're just finishing up 
And we're hitting the last note of fly. We ended acapella. So it goes, I just want to. And a lightning strike came down. It hit my mic, hit our stage. And we all just fell on the ground. Now, I'm never one to miss a showbiz moment. You know, it, lightning didn't hit me, but I got on the ground and lied there for five minutes and didn't move, man. And I, <laughs> I, I soaked up every bit of that God's production that day. I, Chris, I can't believe you remember that because people that were on that tour remember that and people that saw the show remember that. But it's almost been a part of urban legend now. We're like, well, did it even happen? Was it real? So I'm glad you're verifying that as this is the truth. Mark, I, I, I saw it and I thought I witnessed you die. I'm not kidding you. And you hit the ground. It, like you said, you played it off. It was it was like the perfect moment. I mean, people were freaking out. And, and I honestly thought you got struck by lightning. That was Friday, July 18th, 1997. Mark said, United Center, Chicago. I'll never forget it. Fly was blowing up. Uh, a couple more things before we jump into the song, which, by the way, for the listeners, we're, we're going to break down uh, every morning today. Awesome song, love it. Thank you. Um, so much to so much to talk about with this song. This song is uh, is literally a pop masterpiece. I'm so excited to talk about. Well, it. I appreciate but, that. But uh, yeah, I I do want to say <laughs> that I uh, I think you're the only person on in the world. I pride myself as as being a music aficionado that I'd be scared to get in the ring with on Rock and Roll Jeopardy. You were impressive. Well, you were impressive. Chris, the fact that you would even think of challenge me, challenging me gives me a real like insight into how much you must know. You know, because there's a few people that, that I don't I wouldn't step to. Matt Pinfield, Matt Pinfield will destroy you, you know. He's brutal. And, yeah. And there's a thing, I'm the three-time rock and roll Jeopardy champion, but who's counting? You know, that's not important. <laughs> yeah, even though my Twitter, the first thing you see on my Twitter is that. You know, forget sugar yeah. right? Forget so I, I love I love trivia. I love music. And I, I am so grateful for the fact that I'm able to do this. So when I was younger, I'd read all the magazines, Rolling Stone, you know, Spin, you know, even the hip hop magazines and, and all that. But then I got hit to that new the enemy, Melody Maker and all the all the magazines coming out of England. And all this useless information would stick in my brain. But none of the stuff in high school that mattered, geometry and stuff would. So I never <laughs> found a vehicle for all this useless information, like knowing all four guys names in a winger. I'm like, where can I find? Where can I place this? Well, the H1 <laughs> Rock and Roll Jeopardy came along and it was great for me. But it was kind of a it was kind of a burden, Chris, and the fact that like this happened in like, you know, 98, 99, and then our record came out 1459, which had every morning on it, and it was blowing up. And then we'd be doing a lot of press, as you know, you're touring, you're out, you're 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 taking bus from city to city, and you know, you go to some of those early morning radio stations, and I'd have this morning zoo team. I, 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 my, my torment energy would be like, Mark, we're here. And I'd literally just got in my bunk an hour before, you know, so we're, <laughs> we just got to the radio station, might've been up partaking in some of the uh, fun things I used to do in the nineties. Used to. Uh, so, uh, and so my tour manager would be going, Mark, I'm so sorry. We're here. I'd come out with like sleep in my eye, blood coming out of my nose. Like, Oh my God. And then this morning zoo would attack me and go, okay, Mark McGrath, we got you. Who was the roadie for spooky tooth in 1968? Ah! You know, and so like it almost became a blessing and a curse. What it did, I think it kind of validated my love for music, Chris, and let people know, go, oh, the sugar eye, sugar eye guy is kind of a douche, highlights his hair. I get it. But there's a profound love for music there. You know, he's got a pretty wide palette when it comes to music. So it, it really kind of took a lot of the heat off the band when we're becoming one hit wonders and people trying to put not putting us in that lane, like, thanks for playing, you know, go play a uh, shuffleboard with 
Kajagu on the one hit wonder cruise line, you know, <laughs> which we were precariously in, precariously in the place to do before uh, every morning hit. But Chris, there are a few people I would not take on in Jeopardy. And one of them sounds like you, which I, I'll add to add to the list. And Matt Pinfield is another who is just uh, is next level. But and I'll wrap this up and, and really quickly. When people talk about rock and roll Jeopardy, you got to understand. You got to think about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you aren't well versed from blues to punk rock to hip hop to heavy metal to hair metal to rock and roll classic rock and all that and all Americana everything in between, then you cannot step to me. Don't tell me you're specialized in one area because then you know I don't, I don't play. You have to have a broad knowledge. Think think of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, then we can play. Love it, man. <laughs> that that. Uh... <laughs> That is that is amazing. Uh, just for the listeners, want to go back now. Uh, Fly was released in June twenty fourth, uh, nineteen ninety seven, and then of course fourteen fifty nine. Uh, which is amazing title for a record, which is j- your 15 minutes of fame or about up, which I always knew that you were just humble and you guys could take a pot shot at yourself. And I always liked that. The record was released on January 12th of 1999, a month prior. Uh, and actually every morning was released on January 2nd uh, to radio of 1999. A month prior, we did a show with, it was the weirdest bill ever. It was at the joint in Las Vegas. It was one of those radio shows that they, that they, they okay. do. Is that vanilla ice? Us. Vanilla ice? Yeah. Vanilla ice. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there you go. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it was Sugar Ray, the Deftones, Less Than Jake, and Vanilla Ice. And the poster, <laughs> the poster for the show was this wrestling ring, and it, it said Sugar Ray versus Deftones, Less Than Jake versus Vanilla Ice. And we did, we did, we were on the radio earlier that day, and our trombone player was saying, like, "Yeah, we're gonna kick Vanilla Ice's ass later." And like, their roadies stormed our dressing room looking for a fight that night. <laughs> Kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Who the hell was talking shit earlier? <laughs> So, someone missed the irony. So you of, remember that show? I, it was one of my favorite shows of all time because I love Deftones. I've always got along great with Less Than Jake. I'm a big fan. Of you guys, so much fun to watch and great, great music, great, great catalog of even back then. You guys had a lot of you guys had a lot of catalog back then. I think this well, this is '98, '99, and fun. So it's been wonderful to see yeah. Less Than Jake just do what they do around the world. And you know, I know the Bowling for Soup guys very well. It's just been really kind of cool to see that. You guys used to develop this fantastic lane that, you know, you know, if, if you get to do music for a career, Chris, as you know, I don't care what level it is, you are blessed and you want a lottery. You want a lottery ticket oh, yeah. to it. I know uh, that. And so it's been, <laughs> I know it's that. been fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. So I saw that thing in 98. And this is when Vanilla Ice Guys went into his Ross Robinson corn produced record. So he had a yes. record that sound like like corn. He 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 covered re I guess redid uh, vanilla I- ice ice baby so it was like ice ice baby. like the original do you know who the bass player was for vanilla ice that night chris i do not know scott schreiner currently in weezer no kidding i did not know that now scott is the sweetest human being in the world he worked at a place called dragonfly out here back in the day oh yeah yeah. santa monica you might have played it in the the mid 90s or something he was a bartender there and you know we were kind of we'd, we'd headline uh, shows there off our first record. He was always super kind, give us drink tickets. We didn't have a dollar to our name. He was, I'm trying to get in the band, Mark. I'm trying to hustle. I'm like, good luck, Scott, blah, blah, blah. Next time I saw him, 
He's playing with the Nell Aces band. He goes, Mark, I'm going, dude, <laughs> this is a good start, man. This might not go, Scott, but it's a good start. Vanilla Ice going detuned. It's a good start, bro. You know? Uh, that is that is awesome. I, I did not know that. And I, the reason I wanted to preface all this and in, in, in leading up to every morning is because kind of uh, uh, piggybacking off what you said earlier, Mark, you know, I saw the machine people unless they have been there. And I've had many of my friends get to that celebrity status. Lesson Jake's had a great career. This is yep. not a knock on me or my band. But man, I saw the machine and what was going on with you. You know, you were named People Magazine sexiest rocker of 98. You had it was the press was all day long. Didn't matter it's like catch catch a half hour here have a nap catch a half hour there you were being pulled in every every direction i saw it and this was before right before 98 that the record came out and i don't know if you know craig aronson craig was our a and sure, guy at capitol records yep. yeah and uh rest his soul craig uh i'll never forget him he was in a marketing meeting at capitol this probably would have been november time of 98 or 99 and i called craig as i did every week and, I, and we were talking he says man i just heard the new sugar ray single I go, oh yeah? He's like, it's a smash. And I'm thinking, even at the time, I'm like, to follow up Fly is going to be insane. Like, to do that is like hitting the lottery twice. Not many bands do it. And Craig was just so sure about this. He's like, wait till you hear it. He, 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 it's better than Fly. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll be the judge of that. And damn if he wasn't right. And uh, let's jump into every morning, man. Do you, do you remember when this came about? I mean, you guys toured your ass off for Florida. You guys were out for two years. And, and he, uh, hell, a year and a half after Florida w- uh, was released, this record was coming out. So you had to have recorded this probably summer or, or, or early fall of 98? That's, that's right. Exactly. We started writing probably early 98. <clears throat> Excuse me. We went on a tour. Uh, the last big tour we did for for that record i mean we florida we didn't tour it that long we didn't really do a big thing in europe uh, you know we made some noise with our first record lemonade and brownies in europe now we were like new metal before new, we even knew what new metal was we were touring with the deftones and corn and we, we did a lot of touring out in europe florida came out and it was heavier than our original record which was more like a beastie boys type uh you know kids in a candy store it was the beastie boys without any talent you know what I mean? That's what Lemonade Brownies was. Uh, and, you know, we, did, we, we, we got signed to Atlantic Records. Uh, we had two records, two songs. We lied to them. We said we had 50 songs and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, we got a million-dollar record deal. We're like, careful what you ask for. We got to write a record now. Um, so we, we kind of had a little bit of following off that. But once Fly hit in the United States, Europe didn't want anything to do with it. France, all these things that we were kind of riding with the Deftones, that Adidas rock thing, you know, down, uh, you know, yeah. with, with with those downset. And, you know, we were kind of riding that little thing. And so that's why Florida is a lot heavier, because I didn't want anything to do with anything soft, because I'm like, we finally found a lane. Let's keep going on this thing. And sure. then Fly hit, and Fly was too good to deny, though I hated it when I first heard that, and I'll let you know why. We wrote, we all wrote our songs in kind of pieces. There was no main songwriter in Sugar Ray. So when I first heard Fly, it was like, I just want to And it was just like a little piece <laughs> of that. And I go, I'm quitting. I, this is not, this is not us. <laughs> and then my good friend, Nick G, who's a big part of every morning, I called him in New York, and I remember going, dude, I'm coming home. This song is so bad. We, we've lost our direction. He goes, Mark, there's something there. Go try and arrange it. Write some verses, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, thank God he talked me off the ledge. I went back. I arranged a song, wrote some verses. We got David Kahn involved, who did what I got. Sure. And the rest is history with Fly. So 
I, we didn't tour that long. We did la one last tour in Florida because and it was double platinum at this point. We went out with Safe Ferris and Goldfinger in January, February yes. of early 98. And now the record was kind of falling off the charts. Fly was definitely the anomaly of that record, meaning it sounded so much different than everything else. But we found the it lane did. here. You know, Fly was yeah. setting records. It crossed all the genres, went to number one in every genre of radio. But the video got added to BET for a month. It was in, it was a juggernaut of its own. So we rode the wave as long as we could in the United States. Europe didn't want anything to do with it. We said, we got to keep going. So we started writing in 98, thinking of things like, I remember writing Someday on bass in the back of a, of a club in Houston, going boom, 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 boom. So we all would start writing little pieces. So pieces were starting to be written, uh, wrote, Chris, I guess if you would say, in 98. But, you know, we were in a real precarious position because we were one of those bands that had a, a gigantic song that was nothing like anything in their catalog, and people were quick to write us off. Well, they got kind of the douchey lead singer. They, they came out of nowhere. You know, the other, there was no follow-up. I mean, and, and by the way, I, I, I bet against us. I call the record 14 minutes, 59 seconds as a joke. I mean, <laughs> I've always started this self-narrative of humor against the band and myself. You know what I mean? So I've kind of started making fun of us back in the day. So that was the bad part. We were like, okay, we have Fly. But the good news, we found the lane, meaning this is we want to explore this kind of songwriting. I think we found where my voice wants to be. And, you know, melody is key. And maybe we'll turn down the, the guitars a little bit. And that's where every morning kind of came about. But we kind of knew how precarious we were. We were like, well, you don't think we're going to have another hit either. It's so impossible to have one. I mean, but once you get one, it's so ironic. All you want your whole life is one hit. And when you get there, all you want is not to be a one-hit wonder. It's the strangest, yeah. it's the strangest thing, Chris. And like <laughs> for bands who don't have a hit, they're like, ah, oh, shut up, dude. And I know what you're talking about. But once you get there, the work's not done. So we knew it was going to be tough following it up. And to, getting back to what um, your A&R guy said, in 98, I remember when there was a thing called Music Connection, and they were Atlantic was kind of releasing the single out to like uh, tastemakers, you know what I mean? And one of them yeah. said, well, it looks like I just heard the first number one of 1999, and it was every morning. So we were, you know, through Craig and these tastemakers, we were starting to hear some really good feedback even before the single was released. So we felt positive with every morning. We felt like we had a great chance because the people that – I don't think anybody saw it coming from us. Another a great song with, if all due respect, I'll make fun of us all day, but we wrote some goddamn good songs and I'll stick by them. Oh, you know? dude, I, I, let, let me just say, I'm, I want to jump in here real quick. Yeah, so the, the thing about every morning is that, you know, cause I know where you came from. I had heard lemonade and brownies yeah. and, a lot of a lot of floored was heavy. You had some kind of pop punky almost stuff on there. Definitely. And Fly was the anomaly of that record. But every morning was a lot you know, when you when you try to to reproduce that single, a lot of bands will try to copy it, okay? And and it, it's just a blatant ripoff of themselves. It's never as good as the other song. But Every morning retained a lot of what Fly was about. It had that island feel to it. Uh, I, I guess that's the word I'm going for here with the guitar parts. Almost a Latin feel at times. And it was more akin to Fly than it was the rest of your catalog from Lemonade and Brownies and the rest of Floored, which is cool. Um, and there and there's, again, so much to this song, which you brought up David Kahn, which I wanted to talk about him. Did he sign you to, to Lava, to Atlantic? No. No, David was working at Warner Brothers at the time, but part of his deal with Warner Brothers was he could produce other bands. Um, ah, okay. David Kahn, just to kind of backtrack a little bit, forgive me, I mean, I'm sorry, Chris, I do talk a lot, and I get excited and passionate about this time because 
it was one it's of the great. highlights. Talk, talk highlight, away. It was one of the highlights of my life, and it made all my dreams come true. And you know, I, I feel all these emotions coming back, and I see all these colors and palettes and memories. And I'm trying to kind of make them all sort of coordinated chronological effort. But I think I, it's like a Pollock painting in my mind. It just explodes out of my <laughs> mouth, you know. But but you know, no, it's great, man. I I, I love it. Talk talk away, please. I, I like to say David Kahn kind of cracked the code of that Southern California reggae, hip hop, punk rock, acoustic guitar with a hip hop foundation thing. And he did it with what I got with Sublime. Now, never sure. comparing Sugar Ray to, to, to Sublime in a million years, obviously never. But, you know, when you look at Sublime, we all tend to look back with rose tinted sunglasses because, you know, Sublime back then would have been the last band in the world I ever thought would have a top 40 hit and definitely a number one hit of modern rock because, you know, they were so into their dub, Mikey Dredd, Jacob Miller thing. I mean, they were on some other shit. And also they were kind of, you know, they were a dysfunctional group. If they showed up to the gig at all, you might get a 50 minute like dub jam, bump, bump, bump. So it was hard to see the genius through the malaise and through the dysfunction of that band. And David, yeah. David Kahn cracked the code of what I got. And from my understanding from talking to David, what I got was not arranged. Bradley just went in there with the guitar part and just started freestyling. And one of the parts was, loving's what I got. And he just kept, he moved on. And then Bradley went home that night and he came back the next day and David had Frankenstein and arranged this track. And, and Bradley goes, Oh my God, I did that. And David goes, well, kind of, I, I, I kind of did that, you know? So <laughs> he really arranged the track and, and he got the little keyboard sounds and the, and the, and the hip hop punches that, that the dropouts that make what I got so great. And we were sitting on the song fly, never going to compare it to the greatness of what I got. But we felt there was some pot to go there. Just being from that punk rock, Southern California, you know, Orange County world. And that's why we reached out to David. And by the grace of God, when we rehearsed the song for David, he heard a note in there. And he goes, when you go, my mother, God rest her soul. He goes, that note right there can sell 2 million copies. And we're like, yeah, sure. Well, we'll go with it anyway. And I'll be damned <laughs> off that song. And that one note right there didn't sell 2 million copies. So thankfully, David was available to take the ride again for 1459. There was no other choice. You know, once you get this beautiful gift delivered to you as a number one song, you don't want to break that, you know, you don't want to break the songwriting partnerships. You don't want to break the team up at all. And there was three of us who were the main songwriters in Sugar Ray. Our drummer, Stan Frazier, who's no longer in our band. Our guitar player, Robbie Shepard, who's still in the band. And myself. So we were the ones driving the energy of the songwriting. And we also, a, a huge factor was our unofficial member of Sugar Ray, our buddy, and my best friend still, Mick G. A guy who I've known for 45 years, who did all the videos you saw in the 90s. He did he did, he did Sublime Santeria. He did Offspring Free Fly for a while. I'm surprised he didn't do a video for you guys. You know, he did Every Morning. Yeah. He did When It's Over. He did Fly For Us. He did Smash Mouth All Star and Walking on the Sun. He did uh, Everclear videos. He did, he did Freak on a Leash for Corn. So he really established himself there. So he's a really good tastemaker and a really guy to bounce idea, good guy to bounce ideas off. So we went into making the next record. He came up with the idea. He goes to our guitar player, Rod, and he goes, You know what, dude? I was listening to Sweet Jane the other day by Lou Reed. Bump, 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 Ladies, they rolled their eyes. Sweet Jane. Oh, Sweet Jane. 
He goes, there's a good feel to that. And Rodney goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, why don't you try something like chord progression with that? And that Sweet Jane goes D, A, B, or G, or whatever it does. And Rodney goes, you know, Mark's voice is more in the A range. Let's go to A. So he just went A, E, D, D, E, A, E. And he just went back and forth to that. So uh, Sweet Jane was the inspiration for the chord feel. You know, we changed, we let, we dropped out a chord, changed the key, and then we have this good kind of chord progression. Wow, that feels kind of good, you know? So McGee uh, and Rodney came up with that chord progression. Um, and I heard that, yeah. and I'm like, that's pretty good. Now, here's the weird thing about our band. So dysfunctional. I hated the studio, and I still to this day hate the studio. Chris, I cannot- it's an intimidating place. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> right? I can't write music in a room with no air, no windows, and nine sweaty dudes staring at you going, let's write something. I can't. I need to write music when life is happening to me, when I'm driving my car, when I'm riding my motorcycle, when I'm not trying to write a song. That's when ideas come to me. So I had first heard the, uh, the, the track, and I go, the track is cool. And then Mick G, again, had the idea to go, I hear the suavecito part. Now you're getting the Latin thing you talked about. Chris, right, the, right. The Malo Suavecito part. If, if people don't know what that is, it's go look it up. It's an amazing song, and their their song goes la 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 ah, la la. So we go, you know what? We're going to sing that part in there right now. Fully going to change it, make it our own. But that's the inspiration right there, right? So we added the Malo part. So now, you know, we're working on some good, pretty good inspiration. Sweet Jane, Lou Reed, Malo over here, <laughs> all this good stuff. And then um, one time, you know, again, I, I, I go do my thing and run around. And, and Miji, my buddy, we're going to dinner one night. He goes, look what Stan, our drummer, put on this track that you guys are building uh, look, look at the, look at the verse he laid down for this track. And we go, we think it's great. And the verse was, every morning there's a halo hanging. And I go, are you out of your fucking mind? That's not a verse. That's the chorus. Just get out. I of was going to say, wait, that's the chorus. Right. I guess, <laughs> get out of the way. I mean, half a song, like just get out of the way of the good parts. Just get to them without ruining them. You know? So I go, let me think of some verses again. You know, we were starting to get, by default, we were starting to figure out where our strengths were as songwriters. So I, uh, I and you were starting to, at this point, you were starting to get excited about the song. It sounds like. Then I was getting excited about it. Yeah. I got excited when I first sure. heard the idea and it came back and then our DJ, DJ Homicide, he added a great, a great drum track that David Gunn ended up building out and made it punch harder, but he added a great, the DNA of his drum track is still in there. So it's starting to feel good. It's starting to swing, Chris. You know when something feels good, it just feels good? Oh, yeah. Now I'm hearing oh, this yeah. every morning chorus going, this is amazing. The problem is it's so high, I don't think I can sing it. So I was worried about that, but we'll figure that out later, right? So I added, <laughs> yeah. the first thing I thought was, you know, couldn't understand how to work it out. Those words, that melody came to me first, and that was, that's what it was. I didn't even think about it. And that is always my best effort. Always. If that's something, great. You know, you know when people go, I'm just a vehicle and the muse for whatever's in the universe coming through <laughs> me? That's what happens when I write songs. I hate when people say that. but So that's kind of what happened with that. That's all. Uh, that's great. Yeah. And then we kind of finessed it a little bit. We had this great, this great feel of track. We somehow followed up this massive unquote verse with with this with the real verse and uh, with the Malo part now it's really taken shape. Now David Kahn's in there adding his you know bass parts. Uh, Rodney, our guitar player, 
came up with that lick, which is the all, you know, our guitar player does not get oh, enough yeah. credit for the fucking massive riffs he wrote, pop riffs he wrote in the 90s. He wrote, he wrote the riff to fly. He made his money before the band by playing reggae bands, and he still plays them to this today. So all the reggae influence, all the picking, and all that kind of, you know, that Peter Tosh little riffing all comes from Rodney, all of it. That's and then cool. Rodney ended up playing bass on the track as well because he wrote the bass line to it, you know? Yeah. So Rodney's just killing it on this track. He's, he's, he's just killing it. Uh, so well, now, you know, I just I, I want to real quick jump in. So yeah. David Kahn, I, going back, before I forget, coming from the Sublime thing, I can now I can hear totally... The, the drum tracks in every morning and even in fly just that kind of that, that loop of that drum just the tonality of it that feel and and real quick you had meant you were talking about videos a moment ago and before Mark and I started recording earlier I had brought this up because a lot of fans over the years have asked you know the dope man video from less than Jake in 97 was filmed in a skating rink and uh, every morning uh, was filmed in a skating rink a very oh. similar video you had you had the Hesher metalhead in there we had the Hesher metalhead in our video and and a lot of our fans were convinced and, and I and I I wasn't at the time. I'm like, there's no way this band uh, that's selling 10 million records is going to rip off a band that's selling 200,000 records. And Mark had the best response to this, which you killed me before we started rolling. So you could, you could pick it up from there. Because I had asked Mark, I said, did you, did you know that we did, did this video? He goes, no, I, I, I had no idea you guys did a skating ring video. <laughs> I, I honestly did not know that video uh, existed. My, my, forgive me, Chris. I did not see the video. But if I had... And hardly, seen, anybody, hardly anybody did see it. MTV wouldn't play it. <laughs> that was going to be difficult. Probably why I didn't see it. But if I had seen it, I would have no problem ripping you guys off, Chris. No problem. No problem <laughs> at all, man. But, you know... Yeah. Because I think getting back to that, we were inspired by the Bad News Bears. If you see the guy playing pinball in the Every Morning video... That guy's supposed to be Kelly Leak. That's why I rolled up in the motorcycle. You know, he's probably, oh, yeah, trying yeah. to be one of those Valley Bad News Bears baseball guys. And uh, Christy, you and I were talking earlier. Out here growing up in Southern California, every other block had a skating rink like that. So it was in our DNA. And I'm sure it was in yours too, Chris. So it's like I think we were just kind of pulling on things that meant a lot to us uh, from that era. And there was a lot of things like back then you would rip off stickers. Like we would put – uh, Sugar Ray and a Burger King sticker or something. There was a lot, you know what I mean? Sure. A lot of thievery going on. So I would have no problem admitting that. And I would have been proud to have still <laughs> stolen an idea from less than Jake. Would have made the video a lot cooler. <laughs> believe me, but not to my well, no, I, and I, I, I know my listeners would have asked, so I had to get that out of the way. If I didn't ask you that, somebody would have hammered me for that. So um, I, I want to jump in now. Chris, Chris to, let me, let me just this. qualify. Let me qualify. I can't tell yeah, you. Sure. I, you know, I, me, McGee and I, uh, the, who directed the video, came up with the idea for the storyboards for that. So I don't, he, he was doing a lot of videos back then. I can't say he didn't see your video. I can't, and I, I will ask, <laughs> I will ask him. We can follow up with that. He might have. He's, he's the if king. You, if you, He's a king if of you theory. get a chance, check check out our video for Dope Man, Mark. You'll get a kick out of I it because there, there definitely there definitely is some similarities. Um, and 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 thanks for thanks for being that uh, transparent and honest. I appreciate it. Um, this this track is three minutes and forty seconds long. I I I mean this with every fiber of my being. 
one of the coolest arrangements. I actually, for the first time, Mark, I think this is probably the 40th episode I, I've recorded. I had to call my producer uh, earlier today, and I had to say to Chris, look, can you go through this song with me? I really don't know what the chorus, I don't know what to call this part. It's a very strange, it's one of the most unique arrangements I've ever seen in a song. Uh, we got an 18-second intro with that guitar lick that you're talking about that's just ear candy. It's just ear candy. Eighteen second intro, and then we're we're in the in the chorus. Yep. It starts off with the chorus. Don't Everyone, bore us. Don't halo. bore us. Get to the chorus, Chris. You know that. Yeah, right? the, the, yeah, the old the old Clive Davis. <laughs> you got um, it. Every morning there's a halo hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four post bed. I know it's not mine, but I'll see if I can use it for the weekend or a one night stand. And uh, damn, I mean. That's just catchy as hell. Uh, it just right out of the gate starts with a chorus. It did. Did the song always start with a chorus did, from your um, recollection? Oh, always did. Even though originally it was brought to me as like this is the verse of the song. I go, you guys are <laughs> out of out of your mind. That's like following up. You know, smells like Teen Spirit with that, like a after the uh, with the lights on. Like that's the verse, <laughs> man. Like are you out of your mind? It was such an <laughs> obvious chorus to me. But when you yeah. have something that strong. You're like, oh my God, we've got to get out of the way of this thing. It's such a massive, gigantic piece of music. You don't want to like start getting, you know, we've ruined a lot of great songs. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. By starting to muddy the waters and then you start making the special thing not special. So I thought we just got to keep the verses low and, you know, we'll jump up a little bit, but don't steal notes that are in that verse. Make sure there's a big release going into it. And David Kahn was so instrumental in arranging that as well and helping us arrange it. You know, there's kind of the, you know, after the first chorus, there's a verse, which I call with like a post verse. Now you don't hear it. You don't, oh, okay. you don't hear that first <laughs> verse, you know, uh, couldn't understand how to work it out. You hear that once. That is once you said that we never say that again. That melody is that's never the done only again. time it ever happens. Only time. Right. That that is what that's what's genius. And it's funny when I first heard that, I was like, you know, upon I've heard this song a ton, but it's been a while since I listened to it. And when I was, was studying for the episode, I'm listening to it going, damn, does that happen again? And it never does. And and so the island, I call it the islandy guitar part comes in here too, which I love that 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 guitar riff. Couldn't understand. Once again, as predicted, left my broken heart open. 
I called this a one-time only post post chorus or setup. You know, set up for what I'm calling the verse. And 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 um, Mark started to say the lyrics here. Couldn't understand how to work it out. Once again, as predicted, left my broken heart open and you ripped it out. Did, was this a collective uh, lyrical thing or, or, or did you actually write the lyrics to this? All, all of uh, all of the, the hit songs from Sugar Ray had a lyrical collective. Like Stan, our guitar, our drummer, wrote all of the lyrics and the melody to Happy Morning, There's a Halo. And like, we didn't tell each other what we were talking about. So I wrote the, you know, couldn't understand how to work it. I'm, I'm a feel guy. It just felt like that was supposed to be whatever the fuck he was talking about in that course. And people try to ask me like, hey, dude, is that song about pegging? Is that, so- is that supposed to be a rubber, the halo? Like, I get asked the dumbest questions about this song. And, and people just tell me it's about, someone once hit me up on Twitter and goes, Hey, dude, is this song about pegging? Someone told me it was. I go, I go, well, obviously, about eight years ago. So now it's like I'm the one that's verified that it is about pegging. So it's just it's so stupid and crazy what goes on in this world. But what if you ha- don't know what pegging is, Google it. Yeah, really. <laughs> have fun with that. And you'll never you never look at it, you'll never hear the song the same way again. It's not about a pirate's leg. You got it, buddy. Uh, well, it could be if it went a certain place, but we don't need to yeah. deal about that. But uh, but uh, how did how did this part only happen once though? How did it never come back? We tried to make it come back, and it dragged the song. Now, when I when I say dragged the song, it it, it started pumping the brakes on it. You know, when you've got a perfectly written song, it just goes like this, and you're never thinking of the parts, and it just goes. And David Collins yeah. and Chamellas, we had we had. I wrote a second part that you know another one you know. You know, after all this time, I've never told anybody that. You know, that was the, that was the second verse. After all this time, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the other part, but it was after all this time. And I remember, no kidding. And I remember looking at David Connor and I go, doesn't fit. And he goes, well, why do you think of what I'm thinking? I go, Pah. I go, let's get straight to something's got me reeling. Stop. Let's get <laughs> yeah. right to that. And he goes, it's a little weird. I go, there's no rules in songwriting. Does it feel right? And the second we remove that, boom. It had the groove again. It just kept moving. And when you're not thinking about the parts, you like, Chris, sometimes people ask me, I, I don't know the part. Like, I don't have the words for it either. And Sunday's very, our other song, Sunday, which was a big hit off 1459, has a similar yeah. thing. I don't know what the verse is, the chorus, the B part, you know? So it's very interesting. But David Kahn, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot articulate his importance in the arrangement and the sound and the songwriting. He wrote the bridge part to every morning. Uh, on guitar. Yeah, well, and that's I I love when artists are open about the producer's role. So many artists try to minimize what the producer and when you got a good producer and you know what David Kahn brought to the table and it's so cool and humbling of you to be able to to acknowledge and recognize that. I'm what I'm calling the the, the first verse here, Mark, uh is the something's got me reeling, stop me from believing, turn me around again. Said that we can do it, you know I want to do it again. And then it stops, and right. that intro guitar, like down, 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 down comes David in. Conn, the dropout, cop. Yeah, it's just so amazing. We can do it. You know I want to do it again. Only time in the song it says Sugar Ray Say. Was that DJ Homicide that said that? Yeah, but he goes, Sugar Easy. Sugar Reezy, because what we did, he would all, you know, his nickname was Creasy. 
and didn't call me Measy. And that, you know, there was just some stupid dialogue that goes along bands, you know, they go, yeah. what's up, Measy? What's up, Crazy? And like, it was just some stupid stuff we said. So he's, he added sugar easy there. So well, that's how it's written online in Google. I thought that was a typo. No, it says sugar. A say on all the lyrics and no one ever said that. It's probably someone Atlantic records trying to like this <laughs> articulate and decipher the records later, but it's supposed to be sugar easy. And then it goes into the yeah. mallow part. The, ah, ah, ah. Now, yeah. Chris, now, Chris, I, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of you, but now we're at the mallow part, right? This is well, right. And, 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 and this is the, the malo, which is the uh, suavecito is, and it's the, ah, part that's Mark Mark's referencing. I called this three different things here, Mark. I called this the interlude, the refrain or, or pre-chorus number one. <laughs> it's I've, such a weird part before the chorus comes in. This is so crazy. I've called it the post-chorus before. You know what I mean? I just don't, yeah. I, I think it's kind of cool that like, we there were no rules to our songwriting as long as it just flowed, you know. And I think that was so great when you're working with like three real big entities as the songwriters from the bands. And look, we weren't communicating. Someone would be a part, and I wouldn't ask what they were talking about. We would just keep writing. And so, you know, there was no Noel Gallagher in our band. There was no Johnny Resnick that wrote all the things. So we were also coming to our own as songwriters and starting to trust each other more. He's the gig hook guy. He's the big chorus guy. I'm the arranger guy. Roddy's got all the guitar licks. David Kahn. And we had a, we had such a beautiful team there for a while that, of course, we had to fuck over later. But that's for another podcast. But, you know, <laughs> well, what happened was when money was, gets involved. Was this, I meant to ask this earlier. Do not want to forget this. Was this record, because this is right on the cusp, was this recorded analog or Pro Tools? Oh, you know, David, David Kahn was one of the pioneers of using Pro Tools. In fact, Pro okay. Tools would give them prototype things to use. And in fact, a story I've told a few times, Chris, and I'll make it as quick as I can. When I went in to do Fly, David goes, Mark, and I'm, I'm literally in the vocal booth, got the band, everybody in there, knowing the song was the only chance we had. Fly was the only chance to have a hit song off floor, you know? And I'm, I'm nervous out there about to sing this song. And I'm saying it, but, you know, I've had an on-off relationship with Key my whole life. So I was a little curious about how it was going to work out. And David Kahn comes over the booth. He's brutally honest, A-emotional, and just was, Mark, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. And being the Irishman that I am, I go, give me the bad news first, David. <laughs> he, goes, you, he goes, you can't sing. <laughs> and I go, well, thanks for building me up, producer. You know, thanks for that part. What could possibly be the good news? Well, since we started this record, I've been working with this thing called Pro Tools, where I think I can give you your voice where it wants to be. You know, you're kind of screaming over here. You're rap rocking. You're falsettoing. You, you can't really sing, but you got a tone. Like in Dylan, like in Anthony Kiedis, you got a tone. Let me find it for you. So we started doing Fly. Stop. All around the world, statue stop. <laughs> and so he Frankenstein that vocal for me and figured out where, where my voice was. So Pro Tools had a huge part of me finding my voice, thus finding my songwriting style. I am so stoked you brought that up. Uh, Howard Benson, I'm sure you know Howard, the pro uh, producer, Howard Legend. Benson. Legend. Howard, Howard did a bunch of Less Than Jake records, mm -hmm. and he did a uh, 1998 did a record. It was his Rick first Pro Tools record. We were kind of his guinea pigs, yep. and that record taught that record taught me how to sing. I told Howard that in the episode I did with him. I'm that taught, and I'm I'm glad you. I've never talked to another singer that that that, that uh, has that point of reference. That like after I heard my vocal recorded properly, 
it kind of gave me my voice as, as a vocalist. Isn't, cool. it, isn't that a gift, Chris? And it's funny that like a, oh, it's a, lot unreal. Of, a lot of singers maybe are, are very precious about it or whatever. To me, he gave me a gift. He gave me a career. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and yeah. like, cause, you know, like I said, we got signed and I don't know, I was singing, screaming, rap rocking. And then David goes, here's where your voice wants to be. And like as a singer, knowing what you can't do is just important as knowing what you can do. So that was a, a oh yeah, a, that was one of the greatest gifts of it. I, I got to go back and listen to Howard episode because Howard made one of my favorite records, the bang tango psycho cafe record. So, um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of all time, less so. than Jake, less than Jake tour with bang tango in the early two thousands. We'll save that for another oh, episode. With you. Man, come on, that's <laughs> I got, I got some Joe Lestay stories for days. Oh, dude, dude, oh, dude, you've got to tell me all of them. I want to know them all. Um, oh, I want to get in. I want to get into this interlude, and yeah. I love. I love something in here that is really cool. Um, and and, and the, the the lyric is ah every morning, every morning when I wake up, and then there's the backing vocal of "Shut the door, baby, don't say a word." And then it's kind of like almost a backing vocal that you're singing here, Mark. It's she always writes the wrongs. She always writes. She always writes. And then it comes back with shut the door, baby, shut the door, baby. That she always writes the wrong. That's foreshadowing the bridge that comes later. Go. And it's the only it's the only time that it happens. It doesn't happen happen on the second interlude. And you would swear is, it again, does. And you would swear it does, uh, you know? Isn't that I, great? I had to rewind it. I had to rewind it twice. I'm like, wait a second, did, did I confuse it? Is it the second time too? And it's not. Don't say a word. And again, it's all the little ear candy. And this is such a weird song. There is a formula to hit songs. They broke this down before. You look at Nickelback to Britney Spears, all these songs. And there's like a formula. Oh, this part happens. This part happens again. There's no rhyme or reason to this damn track, man. This thing is all over the place. But like you said, it feels right. You know, what's weird, Chris, is, is David is such a cerebral, David Kahn, the producer, is such a cerebral scientist Though it made no sense to me, made no sense to anybody else, it made perfect mathematical sense to David Kahn. You know, yeah. he, he was the one who decided to pull that. She always writes, she always writes. Let's tease the bridge so it sounds familiar before we get there. And I'm like, that's fucking genius. And David, it, it is. Dude, I would sit there. David, I never saw David Kahn. We, I made three records with David Kahn. I never saw him use the bathroom once. And I'm saying, guys, never once. And you never saw him get up to go on. He was ne never left first, never was the last to arrive. So he would be sitting there sometimes on the couch at three in the morning here like, beep it, beep it, beep it. And I thought the man was losing his mind because he's crazy too. And the best of, in the, like in a genius, in a genius way. So there's no way in hell our band could have come up with that part there. But this is getting back to the genius of David Kahn. And again, the, the success of David Kahn, the success of Sugar Ray is completely reliant on David Kahn being there and shepherding us through this thing because we needed a task master producer. We needed a guy to tell us, look, you're not playing any drums on this. Sorry, you're not, not wasting my time. Uh, you're playing bass because you got this great feel. So like he'd make people cry. People go home, grown ass men going home crying with David Kahn. And there's David Kahn yeah. stories from Fishbone and the Bangles. Oh, yeah. You, Fish, Fish got in a fist fight with David Kahn. And David Kahn designed right. the logo for Fishbone. I mean, David Kahn is a legend. 
fantastic. But I think you can agree. Some sometimes the producer is the difference between you going out of the career you had, Mark, and and no disrespect, but to you you going back into working at a shoe store or something. I mean, you know, I mean that's that's really the difference here, and that's not a knock against you or whatever whatever job you were gonna go do. It's it's you know they he gave you uh, as you said a voice and kind of gave you guys a sound. He was in, integral to, to to all of this. It's the absolute um, truth, Chris, and, and I can never deny that. And I think we're a band that had relied heavier on a producer than most bands. And we're always wanting to give David a ton of credit. And my favorite thing about David Kahn, after our success, I think a lot of people went, well, Sugar Ray can do it. They can barely play. Anybody can do it. And then there'd be <laughs> bands like The Strokes or bands that go after and search out David Kahn for his services. And they go, well, we kind of, and, and David is such a contrarian. You know, you got you got to know how to play him, you know? And then, you know, they, they get through half through their record and they're like, well, we want to sound like Sugar Ray. And he goes, I've already done Sugar Ray. And there, you can see everybody just deflate, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so yeah, David, to his credit, I mean, he stayed true. We stayed true to him, and he stayed true to us, to his credit. That's great. We get here to the shut the door baby lyric, and then boom, again. Down, 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 down. Chris, Chris, lick. Chris, I, I, want, I want his time out. We didn't get through the Malo part yet, which is very important. Oh, yes. About the Malo part. Now, like I said earlier, we had placed that Malo part there. The, ah, now, ours is a different key, and we tweaked it a little bit. But I know I'm sounding like Vanilla Ice and, and, the, and Ice Ice Baby and Under Pressure. You see, theirs went bum ba da bum ba da bum ba, and ours went bum ba da bum ba. So the similarities were too were too were, were, were too were too perfect. So what we did, we didn't sample Malo. That's us singing it. But we went out to oh, Malo yeah. and said, you know what, guys, we tried to re-record this part. We tried to record it a hundred times. And, you know, we had demo-itis. It never got better than this. You know, we have to give these guys a piece of the song. They deserve it. They are making the song happen. So we reached out to Malo. They go, we love the song with open arms. And it's been like a fun Malo, uh, you know, uh, symbiosis ever since then. So we we owe them a huge debt of gratitude for letting us use this wonderful part. Now, we didn't sample it. It, didn't, it was not sampled. A lot of people, where trouble lies when you sample it, but we absolutely did our due diligence. And if you look on the songwriting, they're credited as songwriters on every morning. Well, that's great because it's such an important part of this song. Absolutely. It's another part. Of, it, 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 there, there's so many different elements of ear candy here from that Latin islandy guitar vibe to the intro guitar, all the little things, the vocal effects. We get into chorus two after the intro guitar lick, uh, hook comes back in and uh, chorus two is different lyrics from chorus one and chorus three. The only line that's the same is line two from the corner of my girlfriend's four post bed. So chorus two is every morning there's a heartache hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four post bed. I know it's not mine. I know, And I know she thinks she loves me, but I can never believe what she said. Do you remember why that particular chorus was changed? Yeah, I do. And I, I kind of argued against it because I thought the first chorus was so strong. And I'm like, we don't really need to change it, man. It's, it's. I think it's. There's such great imagery in there, and, and, it, and it's so universal, and it, there's kind of controversial things. You're talking about cheating. What are you talking about? You know, it's so many weird things. And yes, it's about infidelity, but it's also about uh, it being a deterrent because from. Uh, I understand that our, our drummer's old girlfriend had like a, a wreath hanging from the corner of her four post bed. And, you know, girlies <laughs> had these frilly things like that. And it really was a symbol of him, of her being such an angel. And it kind of discouraged him from like, you know, it, it was a reminder of him being on the road, you know, just to stay faithful. So it's kind of a beautiful sentiment written like in a dark tone, very much like some of those suicide hits of the 70s, like Gilbert O'Sullivan's Alone Again, Naturally. Stood him up, no point in us remaining. We may as well go home 
I mean that song sounds yeah. like a it sounds like a like a child's you know nursery rhyme. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's about people killing themselves and dying, you know. So <laughs> I th I thought it was such a beautiful dark lyric, but with this like sort of rolling melody. So I was really against changing it. But David Kahn again goes, "It's a hit song if you don't change it. It's a classic song if we change it." And that was his always mantra. I go, "All right, say no more, you asshole. Let's get well, into it." Well, yeah, and no, and it's weird because it's not like you changed a word or something. Like the whole thing's different except for line two, which but you it feels typically similar, don't do Chris, that. But it feels similar. Oh, you know it, what I mean? It, it, no, it, it it does. It doesn't change it enough to where it, it's so different that it's weird. But again, usually the chorus is is pretty much the same. You want to hit him over the head, and this is different, and that's that's really interesting. Um, we get into verse two. Which verse two comes a long way. You're a long way into the song when verse two hits. Something so deceiving when you stop believing. Turn me around again. Said we couldn't do it. You know I want to do it again. And then the guitar intro lick comes and you hear it again. Now we get into the pre-chorus to interlude number two, refrain number two, whatever you want to call it. I, I, I'll call it all three. Right off the <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Slavacito part. Right off the top of this part, Mark. That loud B3 organ comes in. Yes. That's killer. It only comes in right there. And it sounds kind of like a carnival barker. And if you watch the video, yeah. when you watch the video, you know, when back in the day during ice skating, uh, they'd have the old uh, Hammond organs playing at old ice skating rinks. And it reminded sure. me of that. And the video was perfectly synced to the, bah, 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 you know, that, that Hammond carnival organ. Again, David Kahn all over it going, we need something new. We need to add, we need to enter into new texture here, but keep it similar. Feel like you heard it before, but you haven't. I had to rewind the song, go back to the first interlude. And I'm like, I'm thinking, was the organ there buried? I'm like, it's not even there the first time at all. And then when you do hear it the second time, it's like the loudest damn thing you almost hear there, but it works perfectly. And, and it's so great. David, again, that's David. So like there was a science to what he's doing, Chris. For our songwriting, there was no science, but he would break down the science. You, you can't do that because we're not scientific in our songwriting. We're feel guys, right? Can't do that. Can do that. Listen, if we're going to go into this bridge, we need to slowly build. So Dave is all about building, building, release, building, building, release. And that's what that's what happens when you go into the uh, this this which we can call the bridge after this uh, suavecito part B. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I had my notes written here that I brought up a moment ago. Uh, the she always writes the wrong part that happens the first time doesn't happen here until you get to the bridge and this bridge is so cool because it ch totally changes the feel of the song except for the drum loop yeah the drums are still drums are still doing its thing but all of a sudden you got this chug of guitar the acoustic guitars drop out yeah and it's this own it's this own thing for like eight seconds Your voice even kind of changes there. It's like a little sing song. Like, you know, she always writes the wrong for me, baby. She always writes the wrong for me. 
very short but poignant and then it launches into that third chorus which goes on for for a pretty long time do you remember that bridge you said david khan kind of brought that to the table and and it it's short for a bridge but it works i I remember it very very well um david came up with the guitar parts for that you know the the change where I, i i believe it goes to it goes to d e a f sharp then D back to E. So he came with this part and it was his part. It came out of nowhere. Nobody could figure out a melody or what to place in there. Now I was out partying, doing my thing. And I would think I came, I was up all night at a house or something. And, and I was kind of late to the studio as I might've wanted to be back then. Uh, they were there at two <laughs> o'clock. I was driving to the studio and I go, she always writes the wrong for me, baby. She always writes the wrong. Follow me, and and I go. It feels good, but there's not enough lyrical content there. Not for what we just. They're they're not going to like it because maybe they might like the first part, but we're going to have to finish. So we were at Swing House, the rehearsal space, Swing House out here in Los yeah. Angeles. You know, we would be doing pre-production as we were recording the record. David wasn't a guy that needed to go into a studio then because he was so far ahead in technology. So even though he was fooling us, we were doing pre-production writing. He was making the record. So I go, give he me. He was already new. He's, yeah. He's already doing it. He already had the sounds. We didn't set up any yeah. drums. We didn't set up any drums. Our drummer played live only on the middle of Fly, and that was it. He didn't play drums on, on, on any of the well, hits. Um, real quick, I, I got I to gotta ask. So now, in my head, because I'm listening to the song Linear, um, the She Always Writes the Wrong Part in the first interlude, that, that kind of uh, call and response thing you're doing there, which almost sounds like a backing vocal. Was that an afterthought? Was yes. the bridge written and then ah, so bridge, you decided to put it there first. afterwards? Yeah, we had cool. we we wait we, we that's awesome. Yeah, no, we waited to add the counterpoint. Well, David waited to add the counterpoints. You know, I gotcha. I, oh, I, at the ending, I'll, I'll tell you about it. But but so I went in there with a Sure fifty eight mic at Swing House, sitting by David's board, and and I and I go, I got an idea for the bridge. Everybody's like, oh, great. Here's one of Mark's ideas again. And, and, and I just go, <laughs> she always writes the wrong for me, baby. She always writes the wrong for me. Or something like that. You know, and he goes, why did you, why, why did you talk at the end of that? I go, why? He goes, that's it. He goes, let me see if I can clip it. So what you hear right there is exactly my one and only take at the bridge. It was my rough idea. I was showing the guys what I felt the idea was because I didn't care. And it was so loose. That of course yeah. David, David loved the vocal. He goes, "That's it. You're not touched." I go, "What are the lyrics?" He goes, "They're perfect." You know, and 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 that that's was it. Aw- that's that is, oh, dude. That is so that lightning in a bottle stuff, man. You can't. It's so hard to explain to someone that's never been in, in the studio or in that situation when it happens. It's just like you don't know where it came from. That is such a. That's a, I'm and, really and glad and you, Chris, you so shared that with us. Serendipitous and lucky and. You know, it's almost beyond you, especially when you write with other people, you know, there's just a magic happening there and it's rare. And when it does and you feel it, man, it's great. I think I think at that time we went across the street to Chandara and I'm starting to get cocky now. I'm like, I think think we're sitting on some shit here. And that's when I said, let's call the record 1459. And all the guys in the band were against that immediately. They were going, no, you're (laughs) trivializing it, blah, blah, blah. I go, you guys. If the record fails, it's the greatest title in the world. If the record succeeds, <laughs> it's the greatest it's the title greatest. in the world. So <laughs> I had the, the, the band was not into it. We went back and told David Kahn. And he goes, he has glasses on. He was pushing back. He goes, 
That's the greatest title I've ever heard. And then, then he just, that was it after that. It was 1459. So on that once day, he gave that a stamp for approval, bridge, we got the, we got the, uh, we got the uh, title of the record too. That was a good day. Which by the way, Chandara, amazing Thai food. Is it still there? Cause it, I've eaten the Chandara. It's not there anymore. Unfortunately, bro. Not, we, not, we, not on, we, uh, not on Kawanga anymore. There might still be one. Okay. Well, where, where was swing house? Because we recorded right, a grand master. Right across the street from Chandara. And you wouldn't even know it was there. Swinghouse has since changed. It's gone through like multiple okay. variations. It's gotten bigger and bigger. Um, okay. But it, it was right Grand Master Studio was, was right next to the Jack in the Box. Yeah, it was right behind the Jack in the Box. They were, they were, it was right. Ah. You know those nondescript buildings that were right there? Yeah. Swinghouse yeah. was right okay. there. I'm surprised you didn't. I mean, it was right across the street from Chandara. That's why I went there. That's, ama- that, that's amazing. Um, we're going to wrap up here with, with the third chorus, which there's a lot going on here too, man. It's like, he, here we are. And, and the first part of this is the same as, as chorus one. Every morning there's a halo hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four post bed. I know it's not mine, but I'll see if I can use it for the weekend or a one night stand. And right there, uh, the, the shut the door, baby, don't say a word right after that happens. The whistling comes in. And here's another ear candy that never happens in the song again. Um, can you whistle? Was that you? Wasn't me. It was <laughs> David Kahn. David Kahn no did the kidding. whistling. And, you know, at the end, I go, you guys, I don't want to fade out with the chorus. And they're like, what are you talking about? I go, I just, it's so strong. I want to leave it special. And I don't want to leave your ears like kind of fading out. And then I go, I want to just take a part of it and fade out. Every morning, every morning when I wake up, every morning. And they go, great. And then we're like, there's something missing there. And David goes, I can whistle. And we go, I don't know if it's a whistle. And he goes, last time I whistled was on Walk Like an Egyptian and it went to number one. We go, get your ass out in there and whistle something, dude. <laughs> so David Kahn has whistled on two songs, and they both went to number one. Walk Like an Egyptian, The Bangles, and Every Morning. That's David whistling. Rodney does it live now. Rodney, your guitar player, does a great job imitating it live, but David put the whistle in there. And we love counterpoints at the end of outros, Chris. You'll hear that in a lot of yeah. songs, you know, where we kind of we, we, we reintroduce parts of the song and just kind of play amongst each other, maybe added another little part like every morning. And that's uh, yeah. that's kind of what happened. Well, and then and then we we get a little uh, uh, to borrow your lyric here. It's kind of a turnaround here at the end. There's a couple new new lyrical themes that come in uh, every morning. Turn me around again every morning. Shut the door, baby. Don't say a word every morning. All you say is do it again uh, every morning when I wake up. Every morning, shut the door, baby. Shut the door, baby. And it kind of just kind of just goes from there. And David had a lot to do with those. So you know, shut door, babies, and, and like returning those like. And he'd, he'd sample some of the parts. And he also yeah. he also flipped the beat at the end. I don't know if you hear it. The timing right. clips. Every morning, then it goes every morning, and like just the little things like that that Those keep you skips. interested. That if you're not even in layman, if you if you're if you're just listening with layman's ear, you don't even notice it, but it keeps you interested. You don't know why. But if you're a musician, you're like, whoa, they just three, four time that thing, you know? I know. And that's all I, David Kahn. All David Kahn. 
And again, it's those genius of the producer. I wish, I mean, I can, I can write a decent song, but man, the little things that we're talking about, Mark, it's the difference between a song that's at 95% and a hundred percent. It's that 5% difference that uh, people like David Kahn, that you cannot uh, give the, the importance of that. You, it's just, uh, it's all the difference the in the world. It's all the difference in the world. And Chris, you know what I say? We can all write good songs. You know, we can, I'm like, I don't mean to brag, but we've been doing it a while. We can write good songs, but that's the difference between a great song. And then there's a difference between a hit song. And then there's a difference between that classic song. You know, there's levels yeah. to this shit of songwriting and production, you know? Yeah. So, you, you know, you, you, you know, the enormous success you came off, off a of fly. When you first heard this mix come back, were you, were you like, I, I think we got another one? Were I said, this, this is the best we can do. This is the best we can do. It feels right. It feels like people wanted more fly ish sounding songs at that time. We hadn't, you know, we hadn't run out our, our, our run, if you will. You, know, you got about four or yeah. five year run if you're lucky, if you're style. So it was a perfect, perfect storm of people wanted to hear another song like Fly from us. I think we delivered another one and it just Absolutely. felt good. And like, Chris, when we listen back to it, you know, normally I don't like listening to our songs. One of those songs I kept listening to while we're driving and I'm playing it for my girlfriend who, who is my now wife, who I wrote, she always writes a wrong about. She's like, this is good. And she was first to say, this sucks. This sucks. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. but I appreciate it. It was a real sort of something yeah. that really bounce off the reality of it. And she, she was, she was right. You know, uh, we felt yeah. really good about it. And then when the label heard it, they lost their fucking minds. And every morning was one of the first songs to be done for 1459. So it was a real like, okay, now let's go write the record. You know, kind of took the pressure yeah. off. Of, and like we stumbled upon someday and falls apart was a, was a top 40 hit and number one song alternative. So we got lucky, Chris, you know, and we were, we were at our writer's peak and, and, and we were at the, at the top of our game as songwriters right then. But then, of course, money came in after that and people would go, oh, I'm getting ripped off. I want more for this, more for that. And of course, we became that cliched behind the music band a couple of years later. But not at this point. We're at the top of our game. That happens, but man, I Mark, I just I want to thank you for uh, for going through this song with me. This is uh, I love the song, and it it really is uh, a little pop masterpiece. And you guys deserve every bit of success that you've ever had and continue continue to have. Um, I want to leave the listeners right now with uh, anything that you'd like to plug. Uh, uh, solo, I know you did a solo record in 2015. Any solo projects coming up, or anything uh, Sugar Ray you'd like to talk about? You know, we did a record. If you're a fan of the band Sugar Ray, we we did a record in 2019. It came out in BMG called Little Yachty which was a fun record to make. And it's, you know, it's very Sugar Ray sounding. I mean, I, I kind of uh, named us like kind of a yacht rock band of the 90s. So I named it Little Yachty. <laughs> and, you know, there's some of the fun songs that like, you know, we, we wrote a record for fun. So take a listen, steal it, do whatever you want to do if you can. But I really don't have a lot to promote, unfortunately, Chris. You know, there's not, not a lot going on out here. But I want to say to you, dude, I, I really appreciate being on your podcast because you just love music and the way you broke the song down. I'm so glad you picked every morning because a lot of people I've talked about fly a lot, but every morning was the song that I knew we were going to be around for a while. And it means so much to me, this song, this song got me off that one hit wonder desert Island and it gave us yeah. a career. And, uh, I'm so proud of that song and grateful and uh, appreciative of everybody's contributions. You know, it, it took a village to build that song. And, uh, I, I'm just very grateful for it. Uh, it was, it was fascinating to, to, uh, to break it down with you and I really appreciate it thank you so much you're welcome my friend hope to see you soon man I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time 
a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. Today's featured artist is The Way Way Back from Kansas City, Missouri. The band is composed of Ben Went on vocals, Caleb Lumbry on guitar, Matt Jack on the drums, and Billy Bachelder on bass. Their official motto is music for people who used to skateboard. You can find their music on Bandcamp. Here's a snippet of their song, Peter Pan. The Rap with Chris and Chris. So, man, that was a little bit longer of an episode than usual, but I feel like I could have listened to you and Mark McGrath talk to each other for another hour and a half because that was awesome. Uh, what an absolute character. Um, I, I've always always liked Mark. He, uh, <laughs> I feel like, again, uh, we, we kind of connected when I talked about him, uh, talked to him about Rock and Roll Jeopardy. You know, we kind of uh, are kindred spirits in that respect. Yeah, I still, I want to get him, you, and as he brought up Matt Pinfield to come on an episode and I want to be the game show host. I always dreamed when I was a kid, I wanted to be a game show host. And if I got to be a game show host between the lead singer of less than Jake, uh, people's sexiest man, uh, sexiest rock guy from 1998 and the host of 120 minutes, <laughs> that would be, that would be my dream coming true. So I hope that we can make that happen. Well, man. which one of our listeners would want to see Chris, uh, host, uh, a little rock and roll jeopardy here on Chris to makes a podcast. Let us know at the Facebook group. Uh, if you'd like to see that and we'll, yeah. and we'll, we'll make it happen. I'm not kidding that that's what I wanted to be when I was a kid was a game show host. I love game shows. So I seriously, that would be my dream this year, like for my birthday or something. I want to make that happen. I feel like Mark would do it. I feel like we both kind of have had interactions with Matt Pinfield. If we can make that happen, man, that would be a dream. Um, <laughs> be careful what you wish for, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk real quick. One thing I thought was really awesome, like one of the the, my favorite tidbits of this episode was when Mark talked about how David Kahn, who, by the way, before I, I get into my tidbit I liked, his resume is insane because I went and looked at it, <laughs> and it is just just a few people in this resume of producing and mixing and recording. Uh, the B-52s, Tony Bennett, Wilco, Paul McCartney, Fishbone, Stevie Nicks, Matthew Sweet, 311, The Strokes, Regina Spector, Kelly Clarkson, and Taking Back Sunday. Like, just an insane resume. And that's just the tip of the iceberg there. That that was so cool. I wasn't even that familiar with David Kahn, but my favorite tidbit was that David Kahn did the whistling at the end <laughs> of every morning, and he also did the whistling in Walk Like an Egyptian. Yeah. 
How insane is that? Yeah, he had two two number one singles with him whistling on it. Uh, you know, uh, I just love how how much props Mark gave to, to David Kahn. It's so again refreshing to to have a uh, a world renowned uh, rock rock star like Mark talk about how integral a producer is uh, to the, to the, to this band. He even said it. He's like he he carved our sound. He he taught me how to sing. Mark's Mark was that humble to to admit that, and that's very cool. You know, I feel like people may have had an idea in their head of who Mark McGrath was, and he seems to know that too. He seemed to make reference when to he, that when several he, times. Like when he talked about I'm the douchebag guy with the frosted yeah. tips. Yeah, well, <laughs> dude, honestly, like he was and is a really good looking guy. <laughs> like, so you're going to have the haters out there. He's a guy who's a lead singer of a band with perfect pop songs. So he's going to be the target of so many people's aggression <laughs> you know so, so uh he embraces it he's he's humble about it and uh yeah he gives credit where credit's due like when he talked about the band Molo, you know they didn't try to like bite that melody off and, and steal it they gave him credit and credited him as songwriters you know i think that's awesome yeah it's, it, just so it, much respect it's very cool and coming from where mark comes from again I, I witnessed the machine at hand uh he was getting pulled in every direction they were the most popular band for for those 15 minutes the name of the record you know they they were they were that band in the late 90s early 2000s um i think he's handled the fame incredibly well uh it was one of the most down-to-earth uh and fun conversations i've had so far on here on krista makes a podcast it was awesome yeah, and he's made a name for himself even more than Sugar Ray. Uh, like, my mom knows who Mark McGrath is. <laughs> you know, like, Mark McGrath has been just all over the place. He brought up Rock and Roll Jeopardy and talked about all his various things, hosting shows, being in movies, being on, on TV shows, reality shows, whatever. He has made a name for himself beyond Sugar Ray. So it was awesome, dude. Real deal celeb. Yeah, man. I, uh, I, I, like I said, I not, not just saying this. It was one of my, uh, my most favorite conversations on here. We just, uh, he, he has the gift for gab to put it mildly. Yeah, man, that Mark, he sure can bark. And speaking of barking, Chris, this month's fundraiser is Biggie's Bullies. They are a foster home-based rescue founded in 2011 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Their mission is to rescue and rehome pit bull-type dogs in Pittsburgh and the surrounding areas. If you'd like to know more, head over to KristaMakesADifference.com and please give to this month's fundraiser anything you can to help out this wonderful cause. Who on earth wouldn't want to help dogs? Some jerk out there? If you're a jerk and you don't want to help dogs, <laughs> then don't go to ChrisToMakesADifference.com. But if you're a cool person who likes dogs like everybody should, hey, just go to ChrisToMakesADifference.com. Even if you can chip in a buck or two, hey, every little bit helps. Yes, they are a wonderful organization and even more wonderful as people. So please head over there and help out if you can. We'd really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, you know, Chris, I was thinking... I, I, I said this a couple times now. I don't want to beat it to death, but I truly had no idea what it took to put together a radio show that we're calling this podcast. And you have taught me so much since you uh, suggested to me that I should start a podcast. I pretty much learned everything from you and you are now offering a pretty killer service. So I've never really asked you, how, how did you get into this yourself? How did you learn? Would you, would you say that I'm a god of pod? I would. I would say that you're a god of pod. In, in my opinion, uh, yes. It's funny. When I, I first heard of podcasts, it had to be like 2005 or 2006. I didn't really even know what it was, but it's basically just an internet radio show It's a that you can make yourself. So I first heard about podcasting sometime in 2005, 2006, and 
my band Punchline was touring a lot, so I started my own podcast. I called it the Chris Fafalius White Van Podcast, and basically it was something to do. I think I just did it through the internal mic in my like Dell laptop in the van, Fancy. and I would just talk. Yeah, <laughs> and I would just talk. I would just talk to my bandmates in the van, like as we were driving. And I think you like you would like hear the noise of like tractor trailers going by, like as we recorded, but. It taught me a lot about how to podcast. Then over the years, I made other podcasts. I did one with my friend Mike called Men in Their 30s Only, which you can still go back and listen to all the old episodes of. And I think I just learned along the way what makes for a good and interesting and fun podcast and what makes for a really bad podcast. And I'm not talking shit, but there's a lot of bad podcasts out there. And I think that it's a matter of knowing what to cut (laughs) <laughs> in podcasts, you know, we, we cut a lot of fat off of these podcasts. Uh, and I think that it's a matter of knowing what people are going to like to listen to, what's engaging. And I think that just comes with experience. And I like to think that I have gained a lot of that experience over the years. Well, I, I, yeah, and I can tell you one thing. I, listening to podcasts now, I listen to them differently since we started this. And I'll listen to some of them and be like, you know what? Th- this is two or three steps away from being a really great podcast if they just did this, this, and this. And I, I really think that's where you and Matt come in. So, uh, you know, please, please tell the listeners where they can uh, uh, find your services. Yeah, my friend Matt Kelly and I started a business called We Know Podcasting. And you can hit us up at info at weknowpodcasting.com. Whether you're thinking about starting a new podcast, we offer consultations. We can help you get a logo, get a theme song, uh, anything you need to know about the technical aspects. What mic should I buy? What interface should I buy? What program should I use? And most importantly, we offer editing services because editing does make the difference between good podcasts and bad podcasts. Absolutely. Matt and I can help you with all of that. You can hit us up at info at weknowpodcasting.com. That's right. Uh, Chris makes me sound way better than I really do. So if you think this podcast sounds good, hit up Chris and Matt. They will take care of everything you need. And once again, I always leave you with this. Please join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you. We got a bunch of members, a bunch of people in there. It's very interactive. It's very fun. And thanks to this week's guest, Mr. Mark McGrath. You were awesome. And we will see you next week. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Fafalius, and I'm the producer of Chris Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience, and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting, and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can contact us at info at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Bowie. 
Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.